Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? And then Peter began to explain to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then... God gave them the same gift that has been given to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, And God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. These are our sacred stories. Unrest, anxiety, factionalism, maneuvering, betrayals, us versus them. This is the milieu into which the early church was birthed. This milieu is not typically part of how the story is told. Instead, the story the established church tends to tell is Jesus dies, is resurrected, ascends, and then the spirit arrives with Pentecost and understanding spreads out across the nationalities and classes, genders, and generations. The church begins and all are one. That's not what happened, of course, and for that matter, well before we even get to the stories of Acts, unity of mind are not what we find in the stories of the Gospels. The disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying most of the time. And they argue among themselves with shocking regularity. While Jesus seems to care so much more about what's being done to care and feed and tend and clothe than about creeds and orthodoxy. There's a painful irony here. Jesus wasn't worried about heresy, 
conformity, the exact way to baptize or serve bread and wine and water. The church has created rules around belief that it has used to punish outsiders, the very ones that Jesus unfailingly welcomed and included. The Spirit blows in on that first Pentecost and comes to a world of divided opinions and endless arguments. And as the Spirit spreads, it's not tweets about belief, but rather the winds of welcome and inclusion that establish those earliest churches. We've been reading from Acts in these Eastertide day, days. We haven't yet read what is arguably the most famous story from Acts, the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. You'll have to wait for June 5th for that one. And while it's a great story, there are many more stories in Acts, like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. In that story, Philip joins a eunuch in his carriage, and they ride along together discussing a passage from the Bible. As a sexual, religious, and racial minority, Perhaps the Ethiopian eunuch expected to be rejected by Philip and by this newly forming church. And if doctrine and creeds had been the gift of the Spirit, he likely would have been. But he's not rejected. His personhood is not held up to some doctrinal expectation and found wanting. He's not asked to change his ways under threat of hellfire. No, the gift of the Spirit is full inclusion. And then in Acts chapter 11, as we read this morning, we find the story of Peter, who is invited by Cornelius, a Roman centurion, to come and preach. Peter, being religiously observant, does not want to go because he knows the journey will involve violating food laws. He has a vision that Annie explains so well where he sees a whole zoo of animals, some kosher and some not. And the voice of God tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter protests, no, Lord, never have I eaten anything common or unclean. And God answers, what God has declared clean, who are you to call unclean? Peter is then awakened from his vision by a knock. It's an embassy from Cornelius asking Peter to come, and the Spirit breathes again, expansion and welcome. Peter goes, and he encounters Gentiles who are followers of the way. With his vision of welcome, he stays with them and shares their hospitality, including eating with them and breaking food laws. When he recounts the story, he explains, the Spirit told me to go with them and to make no distinction between them and us. He continues, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that God has given us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? Who was I that I could hinder God? Who indeed? And so the Spirit blows and the new church continues to become. 
In chapter 15, before the ink is even dry, the same question is raised again. Who is welcome? Who's included in the love of God? A conference is called in Jerusalem. The conference is about what to do about those Gentiles who want to follow Jesus. Should they become Jews first? What are the rules? Paul and Barnabas have their say. And then Peter. Peter reminds everyone of his vision, the vision of the sheet with all the animals. He reminds them of how the Spirit moved among the people when he was with Cornelius. Beloved, he proclaims, you know how in the early days God made choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe? And God knows the heart for witness, giving them the Spirit just as God did to us. And God made no distinction between them and us. In those days, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit, and welcome will be expanded. And those days happen over and over and over. The Spirit blows again and again, washing away distinctions of male and female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, toppling ancient hierarchies, sweeping away the boundaries of race and class and gender and sexual orientation, blowing doors ever and always open. God's mighty work, not God's mighty doctrine or creeds, works, acts, action. The book of Acts cannot be closed. There's so much more to do. God's mighty work of welcome, inclusion, care, hope, love. This is what makes us one. This is the source of our unity, this love, this kindness, this care. It seems to me that we, specifically the church, have lost sight of this. We've forgotten that Jesus welcomed outcasts, people of other religions, strangers, We've forgotten that he drew in the sand instead of condemning. We've forgotten that he welcomed and welcomed and welcomed. We've celebrated Pentecost and then forgotten the rest of Acts. Our forgetfulness shows itself again and again. We are facing another set of gun massacres, including the senseless murder of physician John Chang who was worshiping in a church in California, the vicious killing of 10 people in Buffalo, New York, Marcus D. Morrison, Andre McNeil, Aaron Salter Jr., Geraldine Tappan, Celestine Chang, Hayward Patterson, Catherine Macy, Earl Young, and Ruth Whitfield. We grieve these beloved we grieve their tragic deaths. We grieve, we lament, we denounce the white supremacist terrorism that motivated the teenager in Buffalo who killed them. Adam Russell Taylor in his article, Christians Can't Be Lukewarm and Denouncing Replacement Theory, explains, the killer explicitly linked his heinous act the belief 
that Western elites are attempting to replace and disempower white people. This belief is at the core of what is known as the Great Replacement Theory, which weaponizes white fear and anger about the growing diversity in many Western nations in ways that have contributed to horrific violence against Black, Asian, Latino, and Jewish communities. The grief and trauma that I feel and that is being felt within these communities is compounded by the killings of nine Black worshipers at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. The 11 Jews killed inside a Pittsburgh synagogue in 2018. The 23 predominantly Latino people killed at the Walmart in El Paso, Texas in 2019. The eight predominantly Asian women who were killed just over a year ago in Atlanta. This most recent racist massacre, like those that came before, serves as a deeply painful and personal reminder that white rage is an ever-present threat to physical safety. Whether people are worshiping at church, shopping at a lo local grocery store, or just going about their days, these killings are another painful reminder that common sense gun safety reforms are long overdue with Americans holding roughly half of all civilian firearms worldwide, despite making up only 4% of the world population. This most recent massacre must be a resounding wake-up call about the real and present danger that white supremacist domestic terrorism poses in our nation. Dear friends, with the stories of Jesus and the stories of the Acts of the Apostles making us bold, we must unequivocally denounce the Great Replacement Theory. We must unequivocally denounce all white supremacist ideologies. Non-white people are not threats to our nation's future, just as food laws and circumcision rules were not a threat to Christians. Is welcome and inclusion and diversity that will lead to a future we want to inhabit. This was true for the early church and it's no less true now. Unfortunately, the great replacement theory and other white supremacist ideologies are not held by only a few. It's not a fringe ideology. According to polling by the Public Religion Research Institute, 50% of white evangelicals, 60% of Republicans, and 11% of Democrats agree with the statement that immigrants are invading our country and replacing our cultural and ethnic background. This hateful theory is often combined with religious rhetoric. So let's be clear. Every person is made in the very image of God and possesses inherent dignity and equal worth. The idea that there is a hierarchy of human value that views white Americans as true Americans and sees increasing racial, ethnic, and religious diversity as a threat 
rather than a strength, is baseless bigotry. And it's certainly not biblical. Remember that no one in the Bible is white. No one. <laughs> not Jesus. Not Abraham or Sarah or Hagar. Not Peter, James or John. Not Tabitha. Not any of the Marys. No one. seems to me that we need the Spirit of God to blow anew. We need to add new chapters to the book of Acts. We must work for love, inclusion. We must be anti-racist. We must denounce any idea that suggests that skin color, sexual orientation, gender identity, ethnicity, religion, or anything else makes one group superior to another. leading, pushing, pulling, luring, always compelling us toward inclusion, toward welcome, toward hope and love. I pray we will feel it. I pray we will embody it. I pray that we will add to the stories of the acts, stories of God's love and welcome.